Welcome to Park Valley Church's Sermon of the Week. It doesn't matter if you have been a Christ follower for years or new to the Christian faith, you have come to the right place. Listen in as one of our campus pastors shares how to apply biblical truth in a tangible way. As you listen, we pray you have an encounter with Jesus that leads to real and lasting life change. Yeah, get up for that worship team, man. Crazy. I've been listening to that worship set all week. Uh, You know, that's been my playlist over and over. I have had goosebumps and chills all week long, so much so I'm kind of exhausted from all the chills and goosebumps, but excited to be here today. It's such, such, it's such a great day. So we're kicking off a new series today called Kings, and for the next four weeks, we're going to look at some of the kings of Israel and the lessons that we can learn from them. Today, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles one of the 12 historical books of the Old Testament. And the story that we're looking at, like I mentioned earlier, is the story of King Jehoshaphat. And I know not everyone loves history as as much as I do. You know, you may struggle when it comes to reading the Old Testament. You may even wonder, you know, what a king who lived and ruled almost 3,000 years ago can teach us today. And you know what, that's a fair question. It's easy to dismiss the Old Testament as not as important as the New Testament. You know, the Old Testament gives us the law, but Jesus fulfilled the law, so we don't need to dwell on it. It's old news. We're we're living in a New Testament world. But you know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, all these things happen to them as examples, as object lessons to us, to warn us against doing the same things. They were written down so that we could read about them and learn from them in these last days as the world nears its end. Paul was writing to remind the Corinthian church of Israel's history so that they wouldn't forget the lessons of the past. The object lessons that he's talking about weren't just for the church in Corinth. They're examples for us too. Now the details of our circumstances maybe a little different than those of the Old Testament, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the lessons of the Old Testament are applicable even today. So, let's look at Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and King Jehoshaphat. Now, what problem could he possibly have faced in 870 B.C. that people living in 2023 can learn from? Well, I'll get to that in just a second, but first, a little history. You know, Israel's first king was Saul. He was followed by his son, Ishbosheth. You have to say that one slowly, or you say something you don't mean to say. All right? He was followed then by David, followed by his son, Solomon. And during that whole time, Israel was a united kingdom. But with Solomon's death, they split into two kingdoms the northern kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom of Judah. And for 400 years, they were a divided kingdom. And honestly, both kingdoms were ruled by mostly evil kings. Kings that did not follow God's will. Kings that even did evil in God's sight. Honestly, it was so bad during that time that not one single king from the northern kingdom was considered good and only a few of the kings of the southern kingdom did right in God's eyes. 
it was not a great time in the history of God's people. And you can see all of the stories of these kings in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. So Jehoshaphat was one of the few good kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. And we find the problem that he faced in Second Chronicles chapter 20. In the beginning of that chapter, it tells us that the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Mayonites were declaring war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers had come to tell him that this vast army from Edom or Syria was marching against him. Jehoshaphat's problem was this multitude of an army poised to invade his kingdom. And that might not be something that we can relate to. But another way to describe his problem would be a crisis. And I think a crisis is something that we can all relate to. We can all understand a crisis because we've all faced them. We have faced them, we are facing them, we are going to face them. Now, you might not be facing a national crisis. There might not be an army at your door, but maybe you're facing a health crisis, a relationship crisis. Maybe it's a financial crisis, a a vocational crisis. Maybe it's all of the above. The point is, crisis is something that applies to all of us. You know, the saying goes that there are only two absolutes in life, death and taxes. But you know what? They left one out because crisis is also guaranteed. In John 16, Jesus said this. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus offers peace, but he promises tribulation. And you can call it whatever you want. Call it trials, call it troubles, call it sorrow, conflict, or crisis. In the end, it's a battle. We are promised crisis as long as we are on this earth. But this verse isn't, and it it shouldn't cause fear. It shouldn't cause despair. It should be an encouragement because Jesus also offers peace. He offers the kind of peace that comes not from the absence of crisis, but the kind of peace that comes in spite of the crisis. And only Jesus can offer this kind of peace because he has overcome the world. He is already victorious, and that is the foundation for our peace. Trials are coming our way. We're going to face crises, but we don't have to fear them. Instead, we take heart because he is already one. Now, knowing that a crisis will come, we look to the object lessons of the Old Testament, specifically Jehoshaphat, to learn how to deal with him. And I think from from his example, we can learn how to fight this battle. The first thing we need to do is we need to put our trust in God before the crisis. You know, Jehoshaphat didn't wait until the crisis hit to put his trust in God. In 2 Chronicles 17, verses 3 and 4, it says, When Jehoshaphat's father had first become king of Judah, he was faithful to the Lord and refused to worship the god Baal, as the kings of Israel did. Jehoshaphat followed in his 
father's example and obeyed and worshiped the Lord. And so the Lord blessed Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was faithful and he worshiped the Lord and because he did, the Lord blessed him. You know, he even went so far as to create a nationwide religious education program. He sent priests and Levites out into the entire kingdom to teach the people the Lord's instruction. He created an environment where the ministry of God's word was a priority. In 1 Samuel 2.30, the Lord says this, he says, I will honor those who honor me. Jehoshaphat honored the Lord. God blessed Jehoshaphat and the kingdom of Judah because of that, that trust and that faithfulness. Now, Jehoshaphat was a good king. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but he was also an imperfect king who made some questionable choices. The biggest one being he entered into an alliance with King Ahab, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, Ahab was the worst of the worst when it came to the bad kings. The Bible says about Ahab that he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. You may even have heard of Ahab's wife, Jezebel. Nothing good, nothing good is said of her either. They're not nice people. But Jehoshaphat goes into an alliance with Ahab, thinking that he is making a strategic move to protect his kingdom. What he forgot was that the best way to protect his kingdom was to continue to obey God. Now, this new friendship didn't work out well for Jehoshaphat. I'm not going to go into all the details, but you can find them in 2 Chronicles uh, 18. But basically, Ahab convinced Jehoshaphat to join him in a war. Ahab was killed, and Jehoshaphat only escaped because God helped him. Now, there's a lot more in there, but that's the gist of it. And when Jehoshaphat gets back to Jerusalem, he's confronted by a prophet named Jehu. And in 2 Chronicles 19, uh, verses 2 and 3, this is what Jehu says. He says, because of what you have done, the Lord is very angry with you. Even so, there is some good in you. Jehoshaphat was a faithful believer, but he started hanging out with the wrong people. And that led to some bad decisions. I don't know about you, but I can relate. You can be led astray if you have the wrong alliances. I learned that the hard way. I nearly destroyed my marriage. Jehoshaphat learned that the hard way. He nearly destroyed his kingdom. But through Jehu, God called out Jehoshaphat's failure. He failed, but he wasn't a failure. Failure didn't define him because there was still good in him. I think there's a lesson in there for us too. We may fail, it doesn't make us a failure. So Jehoshaphat remained faithful to the Lord. He made mistakes, but he still put his trust in God. And now with this vast army at his doorstep, with this crisis in his face, He's committed to seeking God. That's the second part. Seek God when the crisis comes. Second Chronicles 2, verses 3 and 4, Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he resolved to seek the Lord. Then he proclaimed a fast for all Judah, who gathered to seek the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek him. 
You know what? Jehoshaphat was afraid. And crisis has a way of doing that. No matter what your crisis is, there's always an element of fear that comes with it because we just don't know what to do. And I think that's something that we've all experienced. We've all had a moment like that where we just don't know what to do. You know, a crisis is good for for creating that question. You know, what do I do? Jehoshaphat, he struggled with the same thing. In verse 12, he said, we don't know what to do, but we look to you. He didn't know how to handle his crisis, but he knew that the first step was to change where he was looking. That's another lesson within a lesson. You know, when faced with a crisis, change where you're looking. It's an important first step because, you know, the enemy wants nothing more than for us to keep looking somewhere else in a crisis. You might not know what to do in your crisis, but start by looking to God. Jehoshaphat called for the whole nation to pray and to fast, to seek God's will in their present situation. And part of the reason I wanted to talk about Jehoshaphat this morning was because it's a great transition from a series that we just finished on prayer that ended with fasting to then talk about a king who prayed and fasted. He called for the whole nation to fast and pray. And in his prayer, I believe he was thinking about Psalm 50, verse 15. It says, call on me in a day of trouble. I will rescue you and you will honor me. Call on me in your crisis and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. Jehoshaphat calls on the Lord in his day of trouble, leads his nation in prayer. So let me ask you this, who are you calling on in your day of crisis? Who are you turning to? Who are you looking to? When you're in a crisis and you don't know what to do, when, it, when your crisis has left you feeling powerless, follow Jehoshaphat's example. Turn to God. Because the truth is, we are powerless. We can't look to ourselves. We can't look to self-help books or some kind of self-help guru or podcast or YouTube videos we have to look to the one who has the power to change our crisis. Lean on others for sure, but look to the Lord. Call on him in your day of trouble. That's what Jehoshaphat did, and the prayer he gives us is a powerful example of how to respond to crisis in our lives. He starts his prayer with this. He says, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. He acknowledges that he is powerless, but that God is all-powerful. We are powerless against this mighty army, but we look to you. You know, he trusted in the Lord's promise that was given when Solomon dedicated the temple. He said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple, where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. Seek God in your crisis. Look to him. Call out to the Lord, and he will hear you. 
He will rescue you. He heard Jehoshaphat call on him in his day of trouble. That promise is for us too. That promise still applies. In response to Jehoshaphat's prayer, the Spirit of the Lord came on a man named Jehaziel. And he shared what the Lord said in, in verse 15 of Chronicles 20. Second Chronicles 20. He says, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The threat was real, but God said, don't be afraid, because the battle, the crisis, is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. And that makes the hair on my arm stand up. That is a promise to hold on to. God says, call on me, I will hear you, and I will save you. God says, I've got this. You know, I said earlier, you know, summer is winding down, but that means that football is winding up, right? And when God says the battle is mine, it's a lot like football. Bear with me here, right? So when the ball is snapped into the quarterback's hands, what happens? There are 11 people who want nothing more than to take him down, right? But when the, when the quarterback hands the ball off to the running back, what happens? They change their focus. They no longer care about the quarterback. Now they're all going after the running back. They're focused on him. The battle is not yours. God says, hand the ball off. Hand the ball off. Give it to me. I've got this. The battle is not yours. Jehoshaphat cried out for the Lord to save him. He heard and he answered. He used Jehaziel to tell him that he wouldn't even have to fight. He told them to take their positions on that battlefield. And then, I love this in verse 17. I didn't put this one in your notes. But in verse 17 it says, stand still and watch the Lord's victory. Basically, stand there and watch me work. Jehoshaphat didn't forget the last part of Psalm 50, 15 either. He said, call on me in your time of trouble and I will rescue you and you will glorify me. That's the third thing we learn from Jehoshaphat. Worship God during the crisis. Trust in him before the crisis. Seek God when the crisis comes and worship him through it. Verse 18, it says, Then Jehoshaphat knelt low with his face to the ground, and all Judah and all inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord to worship him. I mean, what other response is there? They worship the Lord who promised to save his people from a terrible threat. Worship is the only logical response. When they started worshiping, don't miss that, you know, they started worshiping, they hadn't been delivered yet. Their enemies were not defeated yet. But their faith and their trust was in God. So they worshiped God in heaven, the ruler of all, the one with the power to affect their crisis. The next day on their way to battle, Jehoshaphat appointed singers to walk in front of the army, singing to the Lord. Now, they knew that it was a battle because they brought an army. But they knew that the battle was the Lord, so they let the worship team lead the army. That's why the worship team loves the story of King Jehoshaphat. Put us out in front, let us sing songs. 
I mean, come on, you can't skip the Old Testament. This is amazing things. I know that the genealogies can get a, a little rough to get through, but don't miss out on a story like Jehoshaphat because the Old Testament is boring. Get into it. Judah marched out to battle, singing worship songs to God, and when they got to the battlefield, they found that the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Maonites had turned on each other. They had fought and literally destroyed each other. The army of Judah did not have to lift a finger. When they got there, everyone was dead. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. All Judah had to do was collect the spoils, the plunder. They grabbed weapons, equipment, clothes, valuables. There was so much of it, it took them three days to collect it. That's what happens when you hand the ball off. God promised that the battle belonged to him. Their praise didn't win that battle, their faith did. Praise was just the evidence of their faith. The last thing they did, they continued to praise God after the crisis. In verse 27 and 28, it says, Then all the men returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them, overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. They marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps, lyres, and trumpets, and they proceeded to the temple of the Lord. The nation of Judah had gathered together to seek God's deliverance from their crisis. It only makes sense that they would gather together as a nation to praise him for delivering them. I love Jehoshaphat's example. The lessons that we can learn in how to deal with our crisis. I don't know what crisis you're facing this morning, but I know that you are either in one, through one, or one's coming. You may be struggling with a health crisis. Your relationships may be struggling. You may have financial struggles. You may have a crisis at your job. Whatever your crisis is, whatever your trial or tribulation may be, whatever conflict you are currently struggling with, I don't have to know what your battle looks like to know how to tell you how to fight it. Follow Jehoshaphat's example. Trust God, seek Him, worship Him, give Him the praise and the glory. Whatever your crisis is, whatever your battle is, look to God. Let's stand and be reminded, this is how we fight our battles. Man, amen, amen. I had to check twice to make sure my mic was off so y'all didn't have to hear me. That was, man, how can you not be excited with that? You know, the battle is the Lord's. Jehoshaphat shows us how to fight it, how to face our crisis. This morning, I also want you to know that Jesus, God in the Son, God in the flesh, has fought the battle for our salvation. He already fought the battle to rescue us from the judgment that we deserve. But if you haven't put your faith and your trust in Him as your Savior, then you haven't handed the ball off yet. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus already fought and won that battle. He died on the cross for the sins of this world, for every single one of us. 
But he overcame the world because he rose again after three days. He rose in victory. The Bible says that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That means that we are victorious with him. No matter what our crisis looks like, no matter what battles we are fighting, if we believe in Jesus, we repent from our sin, we will be victorious. And if you believe that this morning, would you just let him know? Pray this with me right where you stand. Just pray, Heavenly Father, I just want you to know I believe. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that three days later he rose from the dead. And I believe he did it for me. Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I put my trust in you. Lord, help me to seek you, to worship only you, and to give you the praise and the glory. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus. Now, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if you prayed that with me this morning, if you prayed to accept Christ, if you prayed to hand that ball off, let me know and just raise a hand. Once you put them up, you can put them down. Father God, we thank you for today. I thank you for the hands that went up. I thank you for the people here this morning. Lord, I thank you that the battle is not ours, that it is yours. I just pray for each and every person here to remember that truth. And we just pray in your son's name. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. If you accepted Christ, want to accept Christ, or just want to see what Park Valley Church is about, you can email us at info at parkvalleychurch.com. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.